let's get into our study. Uh, those of you who are new with us, we're just beginning a book uh, study, the book of Acts. Yeah, I was uh, contemplating this week and thinking through the passage, and I was thinking, you know, there's something about power, at least with men. There's something attractive, there's something that just consumes us when it comes to power. We love to talk about the horsepower of our vehicles. Or if you drive a cube like I do, you talk about the lack of horsepower in your vehicles. Guys, if you're like me, ladies, maybe you too, and you're looking for medication, you look at the active ingredients on the back. I don't look at the inactive ingredients. Inactive means they do nothing. I want the active ingredients. How much of the good stuff is in this one? If there's two options and one option says extra strength, I'm getting that. I don't know about you, when you do the laundry, those scoops get smaller and smaller. They say it's concentrated. I don't believe that. If they say one scoop for load, I put two. Fertilizer, when I fertilize my plants in the backyard, you just give it a little extra. Am I the only one that does that? There's just something about power. Like, I just want things to go faster, and I want things to grow quicker and get bigger. I just have this desire and hunger for power. I think as a culture, we have that too. Power is an interesting concept. We love it. We crave it. We find hope in it. We think power is the foundation of peace. The interesting thing about power is we not only crave it, but we fear it, don't we? And we want power, but if someone else has the power, we're worried. We're all for power if we are in it. We fight the power if we're not. That's an interesting dichotomy of what was going on in the early church. See, the early church, when Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came, it filled these lives with power. I mean, 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, the entire Middle East was changed. Cities were transformed Businesses were shuttered. Rival cities were partnering together. Thousands of people were transforming their lives. Families were renewed. Children were restored. I mean, it was spectacular. And if you're in the midst of it, you loved it. But if you were the government, you feared it. If you were rival religions, you were concerned about it. I mean, this movement, they didn't seem to answer to anybody but God himself. So as a result, there's some discomfort in government and culture about this movement of power. To have such influence to have such goals of transforming the world, people began to panic. 
Everything over a 30-year period, a young man's lifetime, that entire region changed. It's because of that Luke wrote a letter to a man named Theophilus, who is likely a, a politician, who is witnessing this movement of God. But questioning, wondering, not understanding their direction. This movement was filled with unmistakable boldness, but couched in this attitude of humility. There's incredible generosity going on in the midst of this movement, but there is no desire for payback. They never wanted anything in return. At work in the midst of this movement of power, there was humility and an area of peace with government. But there is also this conviction that they're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ above all else. So there are a number of people asking, what's going on? What's happening? What is this about? And so Luke wrote a letter to Theophilus, a young influencer, likely a politician, a man of influence and power to help him understand this movement of God. He wrote the Gospel of Luke to help him understand the ministry of Jesus on earth. And then he wrote the book of Acts to help him understand that even though Jesus ascended into heaven, his work is still happening in the midst of all of his people. Last week, we began our study with what I called the promise of power of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. He stated these words. He said this. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, the very breath of God has come upon you. But it wasn't a power to take over the world. It wasn't a power to transform this cult or this uh, power structure. Look what the power was for. It's very intentional. This power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And this power has a very clear purpose. It's not so you can have your way. It's not so you can be blessed above all others. This power was given to you by God for a reason. Last week, we talked about the promise of power, and this week we talk about the coming of power. This power comes in a unique way and it has a very public and powerful impact. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible you want to follow along, you can download the Chino Valley Community Church app. Right down at the bottom of that homepage, you'll see Bible, a Bible icon, and you can um, read it there as well. Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. 
Look what it says. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Remember, after Jesus ascended, they were staring up in the heaven. The angels came down and said, what are you guys staring? Get into the upper room where Jesus told you. And then we remember, remember that they gathered together and they were praying with one mind. They were praying for that provision of power. And they were preparing their lives for action to be about the cause of Christ, to be witnesses of the glory of God, the salvation of mankind. And they waited there. And then the day of Pentecost had come. That term Pentecost, many of us uh, align it with this time after Easter where the Holy Spirit came. And indeed, the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. But Pentecost was celebrated hundreds of years before that first Easter. So we see in the book of Leviticus, there's a number of celebrations that God established within his people. There's Passover, that's the famous one. Passover is where God called the people to come together and remember when he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Remember that after all of the first nine plagues, that tenth plague, where an angel of the Lord came through and and claimed the firstborn. But if you had put the blood of an innocent lamb on the mantle of your door, the angel of the Lord would pass over you. And God said, I want you to celebrate that every year. Remember my deliverance. Remember the judgment of God passing over you. There's another celebration. It's a celebration of harvest time. After the Passover, there's a time where, where the harvest of wheat. So what people would be asked to do is go to their fields and take the first portion and offer it to the Lord. Before they harvest their field, they take the beginning portion the best and give it to God. And then the next 49 days they would harvest. God said, harvest your fields but leave the edges and leave the corners because God also provides for the poor. And the edges and the corners were, were free for those who didn't have enough to come because God provides and then on the 50th day, they would take another portion of their harvest, come to the temple and sacrifice it to the Lord as recognition that God provides. God provided the harvest. Man, God not only provided the harvest, he provided for those who had the fields, he even provided for those who didn't have the fields. That day was called Pentecost. So every year, Penta, 50, the 50th day, all the people of God would come together in the temple area, bring the sacrifice of their harvest, and celebrate God's provision for them 
God's provision of harvest and God's provision of grace and mercy. See, this is what's so interesting. It was on Pentecost, something that Jews and followers of God have been following and celebrating for centuries. Little did they know on Pentecost, the day where they celebrate God's provision. Little did they know that that was the day that God ordained. They would receive the best provision of all. The Holy Spirit. I also want you to recognize... Remember last week, after 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus revealed himself and then he ascended. And then the disciples went up to the upper room to pray. And then chapter 2 begins on the 50th day. So I'm not great at math, but that's around 10 days. These disciples prayed in that upper room. The angel said, hey, What are you guys looking in the air? We got stuff to do. Get busy. And they went up to the upper room and they were praying for 10 days. I wonder if anyone was thinking, what's God waiting for? I mean, 10 days. You ever just feel like God's moving and God's directing and God's a part of it? But you just wait. And you wonder, what's God's waiting for? I've been praying for my husband for 30 years. Still waiting. I've been praying for my children and my grandchildren. What's taking God so long? He can create everything in seven days, but he can't save my husband in 20 years. I wonder if these disciples were in that upper room waiting for this promise of power that would enable them to reach the ends of the globe in this movement. Well, did they know that God ordained this day, Pentecost, centuries before, a day where God's people would come together to celebrate the provision of God all knowing that in this one day, God would provide the greatest gift of all. First thing you need to recognize is this destined plan. May we just read through chapter two and like, oh yeah, Pentecost, that's what you call when when the Holy Spirit comes. Nope. That was a celebration long before the Holy Spirit coming. But when the Holy Spirit came, it elevated Pentecost to an entirely new level of celebration and power. When the day of Pentecost came, after roughly 10 days of waiting, of praying, of preparing, and if there's anything like this, of wondering if God is ever going to show up, He does. Look how He does it. Let's keep reading. Just one more verse, verse 2. After 10 days of waiting, as everyone's coming together to celebrate God, these disciples are wondering what's going on. Verse 2, and suddenly, that term suddenly, term suddenly, it's, it's just like surprise. No one's expecting this. This came out of nowhere. No one is ready for this day. And suddenly, There came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It was this all-consuming, almost 
deafening sound as if a tornado was ripping through, but there was no wind. It's just a sound. I mean, how would you expect the power of God to come? In a whisper? In a package? Suddenly, after 10 days of waiting, at a time no one was really ready for it, this noise, this deafening sound filled the entire house. It just consumed the area. I can't imagine how many people had their ears covered, their eyes closed. Verse 3, at least one person didn't because they saw this. And there appeared to them then tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Man, fire, fire, fire has this great uh, connection with God significant in the lives of Israel. God shown himself in fire in a bush to Moses. Remember that? As the people of Israel were walking through the desert, guided by the presence of God, it was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. And fire was this symbolic portrait of the presence of God. After 10 days, after 10 days, God seemingly had forgotten everybody, but no, it was this destined plan. And suddenly, out of nowhere, this deafening sound came, and then suddenly this pillar of fire appears in this room where there's 120 people. It's no small room, by the way. This pillar of fire just appears in the room and then it starts breaking apart and distributing itself and resting on each one. All of a sudden, this pillar that people understand and recognize as a symbol of the presence of God and then it just breaks up. Not into 11 pieces. It didn't just fall on the special. It fell on everyone. Tongue is a fire distributing itself. I mean, they're seeing it happen. I want to make sure you understand. See, when the power of the Holy Spirit came, it was not only a destined plan that God had set up centuries before, but it had a very personal message to each one of his disciples. And then just fall on Peter. Didn't just fall on John, the disciple that Jesus loved. The way the text reads, John didn't get a bigger one, and Mary got a little one. The presence of God just exploded, distributing and resting on each one, or they could all see this unity. And this power. I want to make sure you understand when the presence of the Holy Spirit came, 
It showed himself in a way that captured everyone's attention. Showed itself in a way where everyone could recognize it was the presence of God and then divided itself to make sure that everyone knew their equal position in this movement. Passage continues, verse 4. After that happened, it says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with with each other and uh, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Not only did the presence of God come in this amazing fashion with this personal message of falling on each one. And the text says that the Holy Spirit filled. That term means to be filled for a use, fully furnished for a task. The Holy Spirit took up residence in their lives, equipping them for their message. Remember, Jesus didn't say, I'm giving you the Spirit so you can take over the political reign of this kooky culture. It's, I'm giving you power so you can be my witnesses. Helping people understand the power of God, the offer of salvation, peace with God. I mean, your movement is beyond government. Your movement is beyond control. Your movement is about reconciliation of nations, of people in the presence of God. As the Holy Spirit took residence in their lives, filled them with a purpose They began to speak with other tongues. That term tongue in the Greek is languages. They began to speak with other languages. And again, this brings us back. Why? Why would they speak in other languages? Remember, going back to Acts 1.8. You're going to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. I mean, how are these group of 120 people going to form a movement that touches the globe. This is coming of power. Say, I want to make sure you understand what you have been given. You've not been given rights on this earth at Pentecost. You've been given power as his witnesses to transform the world, to reconcile the world with God. Remember what Jesus prayed. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I think this is so important for us to remember what we've been empowered for. I think this is what the Apostle Peter was trying to get across when he wrote his letter to Christians. In his letter of 1 Peter, Christians were in the midst of this this 
cultural war. I mean, Christians are being persecuted. They're being tried. Some being imprisoned. Others being killed. Some losing their jobs. Some getting kicked out of their homes. I mean, this was a very turbulent and difficult and challenging time. And when people of God don't feel like they're in power, they worry and they fear. And Holy or Peter wanted to make sure they understood. You may not feel like you're in power, but please don't forget you have received power. Look what he said. You're a royal, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people of God's own possession. And you're special. You're called, you're empowered so that you may proclaim, look at this, not so that other people can worship you and submit to you, not so you can have control over everything, so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. All of this has been given to you so that you can be witnesses, reflections of the power of God. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have. And so much of what God is trying to open our eyes to is who we are. What we've received. And who we're not to be. In the coming of power, we see a destined plan. See a personal message takes us finally to a public purpose. First four verses, we're all inside this room. This deafening sound, this presence of God dividing itself into coming on each follower of Jesus. And it gets us to verse 5. Read with me. He says, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Remember, this is Pentecost. People are coming from all over to the temple of God. How interesting that God chose this day, don't you think? Everyone's already there. And when this sound occurred, that deafening sound, as if a tornado went through, but there was no wind, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Galileans? How is it that we hear each of them in our own language to which we were born? You've got to understand something. The Galileans were known as people who weren't really good in other people's language. <laughs> My dad grew up in southern Illinois, a very poor part of the state. And he's just never really grasped Spanish. It's always been a quesadilla. Always, as long as I can remember, it's a quesadilla, it's a tortilla, it's el polo loco. So imagine my amazement if all of a sudden my dad comes out speaking fluish, fluent Espanol. Like, what happened? That's what's happening. All of these poor southern Illinois people, all of a sudden are fluent in not one language. 
all languages. People from all over are coming in like, is that guy from Southern Illinois? How's he talking my language? Look, look at, look at all the places. Parthians, verse 9. Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the districts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Their minds are exploding. What's going on? And when the power of God came in the lives of these believers, it wasn't just a destined plan that God had planned centuries ago. It wasn't just personal for these disciples where each one of them were filled with the presence of God. It had this very public purpose that's all been designed in it. It came on a day where people all over the world were here. Remember, Jesus said, I wanna, you're going to be my witnesses to the end of the globe. These disciples are like, oh, how am I going to get over there? Well, then Jesus says, oh, don't worry. I'm going to bring them here in 10 days. Here's a map. Just an idea of all the places listed. Rome in the top left. Parthia, far right. Over 500 miles from the farthest place to Jerusalem. Over 500 miles, some farther. God orchestrated and destined all of this on a plan. This happened on a day that didn't just bless those early disciples had a very public purpose. He brought everyone from around the known area into one place to see it, to experience it, to hear their own language. I mean, God not only empowered people to reach the globe, on that day, God brought the, brought the globe to the people. I love the end. Verse 12. They all continued in amazement. In great perplexity. <laughs> you think? Amazement. They were astonished. It blew their minds. Like they were like, what's going on? Perplexed, puzzled, at a loss, confused, unable to grasp what was happening. I mean, in this moment, again, those disciples, they had to know something was coming. God told them, Jesus told them, the Holy Spirit's coming. They're expecting something amazing, and they were, sh- they were stunned. A violent noise, a pillar of fire breaking itself and landing on each one of them equally, feeling their lives taking residence in their life and empowering them for the very purpose he gave them 10 days before. Little did they know it happened at a time where God brought the ministry straight to their doorstep. And all the cultures looking at him and wondering, what's happening? 
And I think thousands of years later, I think there's still people that look at the church and say, what's happening? How can a time where our country is more divided than ever, how can that also be the time where churches in the Chino Valley are more unified than ever? How can that be? How can that be when everyone's looking down the future, worrying about things burning up, but Christians walking with this peace that's beyond human comprehension? Why are you panicking? Why aren't you worried? Everyone's fighting over control of what's going to burn, not us. We know who owns it. We know God's got a plan. We don't always know how he's going to do it. That freaks us out. Sometimes we feel like we're waiting forever. We're praying. We're serving. We're studying. We're hoping. We're waiting. We're preparing. Sometimes it feels like our expectations don't match up with God's timing. But that's not God's problem our problem right this coming of power I want to make sure it's not just God just dropped the Holy Spirit in this explosion of spiritual craziness this was destined this was planned centuries before this was personal to each and every one of those disciples Or God wanted to make sure that they knew they not only had a purpose, they were empowered for it. And it was very public. He brought the world to them. I was meeting with a gentleman yesterday and giving some of my statistics that you all have heard a million times, but 47%. God has placed us in a community we're 10 mile radius, 47% have no religious involvement at all. They're not Buddhist, they're not Muslim, they're not Mormon, they're nothing. You add into that figure those who are deceived and trusting some other God. They have yet to see Jesus as we do. That's over 50% of our 10 mile radius in conservative inland empire. 80 something percent of people believe that God is real in our 10 mile radius. Majority of them don't do anything with God, but a majority of them believe in God. 66% of them believe that God is actively involved in their daily lives. Even though a majority of them don't walk with Jesus, a majority of them believe that God is involved in their lives. They just don't know how to get there. They don't know how to see it. They don't have to recognize it. Man, I want to make sure you understand this isn't just something that God did at Pentecost. God still does this. Maybe minus the deafening sound and the tongues as of flame. But he fills each and every believer and empowers them for their purpose of being and making disciples of Christ, of being witnesses for his glory and I want to make sure you understand God still brings them to us 
How else do you imagine a little church like ours ends up with 11 acres right in the middle of Chino Hills? I mean, most of us couldn't even afford a house nowadays. How do we end up with this right in the middle of Chino Hills? I want to make sure you understand. It's not just our church. There's 11 other churches that we partner with that God's doing the exact same stuff. God made a promise of power for one purpose. To empower his people to be a witness of his plan to all the nations. I love how an old British pastor described what God did at Pentecost 2,000 years ago. Look at what he said. He said, is there a power that can unify the divided nations of the earth without subjugating them? Is there a way of making people one without at the same time making them the same? I mean, don't you feel like that's questions people are asking today? Man, is there any way to have one movement where we're not oppressing another movement? Is there any way that we can bring everybody together without making people have to do everything the same? That is precisely the sort of unity which the Holy Spirit brought at Pentecost. Man, that's what God started. A movement, it's not about control. It's a power that is not about oppression. It's about freeing people from their sins. Restoring people to a relationship with God. And reflecting the glory of God in ways that people only saw when Jesus walked the earth. I think that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. I've shared it with you before, but it's one of my favorite prayers, so I share it a lot. It's Ephesians 1.18. This is Paul's prayer. Church of Ephesus, good people who love Jesus. They're like one of the superstar churches of their time. This is what Paul shared with them as a prayer. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You think you get it. And I pray that you get it even more so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? This is not a social movement. And it's not to be a political hub. This is far greater than that. This is a movement of people filled with the very power of God to not only continue the ministry of Jesus, but amplify it. Even Jesus said, you're going to do stuff even greater than what I did. That's who you are. Paul's prayer. I pray someday. You'll stop being distracted by things that are going to burn. And you'll fully grasp what I want to do in you and through you. Maybe the American church needs to get back to this. 
instead of praying for judgment of everyone else, pray that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. That we would fully comprehend the height, depth, the length, the width of the love of God. And recognize the power of God that's already at work within you. A power, Paul says, can do far more than anything that we can even deserve, ask, or imagine. It's that power that's at work in them and in us today. Let's pray. Ah, again, Jesus, we're here. God, many of us are here because we believe in your power. We, we believe in what you're doing. And God, we believe in what you've called us to be. God, God, and if we're honest, we, we also recognize that we are incapable of completing your plan without your Holy Spirit. God, you've given us a charge, a charter, a job that is beyond human ability. So Jesus, we're grateful that you sent your spirit to fill all believers, to take up and take up residence and furnish us for your for your plan. So God, I pray for those who are here and believe in you. God, I pray you give them confidence in your call. God, open their eyes and help them to see not just what you have called us to be about, but how you have empowered us to get it done. And God, I pray for those who are here who have yet to see you. Those who are here that long to be a part of this, that want to be reconciled, that want to be freed from sin, that want to get out from all the kookiness of culture and just have peace with you. I pray you hear their hearts today. Jesus, they reach out to you. I pray you hear them as you promised. As they confess your failures, as they confess their failures, their weaknesses, their fears, their losses, their struggles. God, as they confess their need for you in their life, I pray, God, that you hear them in Jesus, that you forgive them as you promised. Cleanse them from all unrighteousness. And then, Jesus, I pray you fill them as you filled me. You take up residence in their life and empower them to be your witness, your emissary, a reflection of your glory, of your power. God, we ask as a church, God, you continue to unify us, strengthen us, give us courage, give us confidence in what you have called us to be. God, that we might bring you even more glory together as a body. We pray everything in Jesus' name.
Amen.